In this episode, we've got a very special guest, Arda, a second time founder who is living in the matrix. Now, when we talk about the matrix, we're not talking about the matrix of my age. We're talking about web three. We're talking about crypto. We're talking about blockchain. We're talking about DAO. And if you don't know what a DAO is, this is something you want to pay attention to because the DAO is coming for us and almost every business will have to wonder if they should be democratic or not. And what's really fascinating about this conversation is everything that Arden's doing is self-taught. I'm doing a mini MBA that's teaching me historical strategies. And this kid is figuring out the future of business, the future of business models and the future of entrepreneurship. And if you're an MBA graduate, this is a course you want to take. If you're considering taking it on an MBA, save your thousands of dollars and listen to Arda talk about what the future of entrepreneurship is going to be. Maybe we'll save you some money. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Dio Klopis, and my good friend, Satish Bala. On Year One, we speak to early stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years the challenges and rewards and everything else in between. So without any further ado, let's get into this week's conversation. Arda, welcome to year one, mate. Really happy to have you on our podcast. Tell me, Arda, I mean, I looked at your profile and I can see that you are a very driven, ambitious young man. Where does that drive and ambition come from? First of all, thank you for having me. It's probably coming from my passion technology and especially new devices, new technologies such as blockchain. It's coming from my passion for technology. And have you always had that passion? Did you come from a background where the family was entrepreneurial and they wanted to grab innovation and run with it? Or is it a case of, you know what, I'm a techno geek. I've always been a techno geek and this is where what's fueling my interest. Yeah, I don't remember the exact time, but since I was a kid, I'm always, I've been really interested in technology, building my own computer, Apple devices, like, you know, back in high school, back in like middle school, I was always doing these kind of, I would say discovery, like in terms of new technologies. So it made me really interested back in the days and I'm still like in this, space, you know, exploring new technologies and I really like it. Now, Arda, you're a generation that's born in the matrix. Can you take us back? to when technology was first part of your life? you remember? Good question. So I'm not too young. I remember having my first mobile phone elementary school, I think. I'm afraid to ask what phone it was. It was the foldable phones, Samsung foldable phones. You're too young, bro. I... <laughs> we had pipes, Satish, remember? We had those massive Nokias and things like that. And now it was with the slim batteries. <laughs> yeah, so I think it was like elementary school. I remember those foldable phones and like Nokia. Those like very, very old phones. And then when I was in, it was like seventh grade, I think. I remember about the Apple and like more like modern phones. Yeah, I think this is good enough in terms of my age and like my experience, my old experience like with technology. Did you come from a tech family? Were you looking at tech from a consumer perspective or people around you doing stuff in tech? My parents are not in tech. My dad is a consultant and my mom used to work for a public bank. 
So nothing really related to tech, but actually it was just a kind of a self-discovery, looking at different technologies and playing around with it and hardware stuff too. It was just a personal thing, I think. No, nothing with parents. You've already had a startup before this startup we're going to talk about. Talk to us a little bit about what you went to school for and did you move right into an employment opportunity? Where does startups and entrepreneurship kind of get started? Yeah, so I moved to Canada in 2016 after graduating from high school in Turkey. And I went to University of Toronto, studied machine learning and data science. And during my first year, I had an internship at Scotiabank. It's one of the largest banks in Canada. It's really corporate style, cubicle style, that kind of a workplace that I worked at. And it was okay overall. It was for eight months. I learned a lot of things professionally, technical pieces as well. But I realized that I'm not really into corporate worlds. It wasn't really for me, even though it was a really good learning experience. It was my first job in Canada. So there's that value as well. But I realized that I'm not really into that. And during my third year, I co-founded my first company, Roll Scooters. It's a shared scooter company. You download the app, find a scooter on the street, scan the QR code and ride it anywhere you want. We launched our scooters in Calgary, Ottawa, Kelowna, BC, and a bunch of other cities in Alberta. And it was really good. I enjoyed being in a startup, being a founder, wearing multiple hats, learning from learning from others. It, it was my first time being a founder, so it was difficult in a lot of different ways. Learning experience is incredible when you're working at a startup. We can all talk about some other learnings as well, but yeah, so we launched in all those cities. We went to Texas. We, we got accepted into Techstars. We got some acquisition offers as well. And then the space became a little bit crowded and cities decided to choose only one or two companies to give the permit. It was a little bit challenging for us competing with giant companies, unicorn companies. And we decided to get exclusive permits from smaller cities, but that was also not really financially viable in the long run. So I decided to move on to Web3. And why did you want to solve that ride-sharing problem? Were you, because a lot of founders we speak to either start a company from pain or pleasure. Something is bugging them or they really want to try something. Why ride-sharing and what, why that business model? That's a good question. It was actually random for me. So I met this person, Richard. He was the CEO of the company. He was also a UFT student as well at the time. And I met him at a networking event. He said that his family business is electric scooter manufacturing, and he wants to bring this whole shared scooter system to Canada. This was back in 2019, and there was no e-scooter company in, in Canada. And I knew that it was going to be huge because when you look at other cities of other cities around the world, in Europe, in US, it was really popular at that time. And it was just a matter of time for Canada. That's what I thought at the time. Yeah, we started building the company together. We also had a CTO. We built everything ourselves, the app, all the scooters and everything. And when we launched in the city, seeing people riding our scooters with happy faces, it was really valuable. And that's the rewarding part of being in a startup. So yeah, that's why we wanted to do scooter sharing specifically. That's awesome. I'm curious that I'm curious that artists, uh, you went from e-scooters into Web three. How did that move? So the relationship or the business didn't pan out. 
you and your co-founders went your separate ways and then you decided, okay, I'm going to embark on a Web3 company. How did that come about? Yeah. So we didn't start this business together with my other co-founders. They wanted to stay in the same industry. Now they're doing retail bikes, selling e-bikes. Web3 was not really new for me. I have been in the space since 2015, 2016. I made my first Bitcoin investment when I was in high school, really small investments. And later in 2016, 2017, I lost pretty much all of it in altcoins. It was a good learning experience. And after I started studying at UFT, I did some more research on the technology side. I looked at some DeFi companies, tried to understand the economics as well. And then I explored some DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. These are basically Web3 organizations run by the community. They have voting power. They put on proposals, vote for other proposals. So that's how those companies are being managed. And I really like this concept because it's revolutionary to the governance system that we know from like corporate, big corporates and um, large companies. And I really like this democratic approach. And I wanted to explore more DAOs, but it was really difficult for you to search, like you have to go through a bunch of different Discord channels. If you want to do due diligence, you have to go through the CoinGecko to find information about their token, the team, the website, Discord. So it takes a lot of steps to do due diligence and explore new DAOs. And we realized that this is a problem after talking to a bunch of other friends and other people in the space. And we started as a DAO marketplace where you can find new DAOs, explore them, invest in them and manage your portfolio in one central platform. And later in 2022, we realized that monetizing consumer-facing products, especially like a marketplace, it's difficult to monetize in Web3. So we couldn't really find a good business model for that marketplace product. We tried to monetize transactions, but there are giants like Binance and Coinbase, and that wasn't a good business model. And we kind of moved away from the DAO space. The market was also really immature. There are not too many DAOs. In total, there would be 40,000, 50,000 DAOs in total. So the market is not that big. And we wanted to focus on some other problems that we can solve for DAOs and also other Web3 organizations as well. Right now, the tool that we're building, Bonfire, is, is a tool that aggregates a lot of different platforms like Discord, Notion, Telegram into one central platform where you can search anything about that organization. The main problem about this space is that these Web3 companies are using a lot of different tools. As I mentioned, Discord for communications, Notion for internal notes, Snapshot for governance uh, proposals, Discourse for governance uh, forum, and a lot of uh, other tools. And these are decentralized communities. It's difficult to manage them in, in a lot of different ways, especially information access. <clears throat> getting access to information is one of the biggest challenges for these decentralized communities. And our tool solves this problem by aggregating all these different platforms into one central database, central knowledge base, where you can search pretty much anything about an organization. Why is this important? Because there's so much race to innovate in three. From a content perspective, you would think communication, especially in organizational, but now we have Slack, we have all of these communication tools already, that somebody would have already figured out how to aggregate all this stuff. So where did you think this is an opportunity? Is it because of 
new platforms like Discord and they haven't been pulled in? Or is there a larger market play? Uh, great question. So the way we started, so after this, we decided to kind of move away from the Dell marketplace. We talked to a lot of different DAOs and other Web3 organizations. And I was also building a DAO at the time. We're still building it. And I actually had some firsthand experience in terms of some of the problems in the space from our personal experiences. And I also wanted to validate this by talking to other organizations. And then it turns out it's actually these pain points that I experienced personally is also pain points for other organizations as well. And that's how we started it. The main kind of issue was regarding Discord. There's a lot of different noises and you don't want to, personally, I mute a lot of different Discord channels. So there's a lot of noise. I don't want to keep track of everything, but it would be really cool to just say, summarize the discussions from last week on Discord. And it actually gives you a really short summary of all the important points. You can even filter usernames as well. So it's giving a lot of different flexibility, a lot of convenience. That's one of the problems I've had with Discord, where it's just so noisy and it always feels like a fire hydrant. Anytime you log in, there's so many things happening. Let's also maybe take a step back and for the older guys in the room like me, explain what a DAO is in as simple as a way possible. Yeah, so DAOs are decentralized autonomous organizations. The decentralized, these are Web3 organizations, decentralized communities that comes together to run an organization. Sometimes these companies, organizations have various products, sometimes in DeFi, uh, financial products. Sometimes there are charities, they donate money to certain organizations. They help certain communities. When there was an earthquake in Turkey, there were some funds by some of these charity DAOs. And you can see everything on a, like transparently, you can see, you know, all the transactions, everything. So I, I like that aspect. Going back to the definition. So the decentralization comes from the fact that these organizations are on blockchains, their proposals are on chain, their governance is on chain. So their treasury, the most important thing, their treasury is on chain too. Autonomy is coming from the fact that there is no central authority. Typically, there is no CEO, no board of directors. Everything is being managed by the community. They put on proposals and other members vote. And this is how those companies are being managed, those organizations. Yeah, so this is... What's an example of a business that's doing this? Can you give us an example of a business? Yeah, there are a lot of different cool DAOs that I have been exploring personally. One of them is called Krauss DAO. What they do is their ultimate goal is to buy an NBA team as the old as a DAO. So that's a very interesting one. There are other big ones like some DeFi protocols like Uniswap. That's also a DAO. It's being managed by the community. Oh, wow. There is a Gitcoin. We have been working with them throughout our beta phase. And they are building grants for public public funds and people... They can commit some amount and the organization, the community makes decisions who to invest in. There are investment DAOs. It's a traditional venture capital firm, but everyone is an LP and they make decisions based on their voting power, based mm. on how much you invest in. So there are a lot of different these DAO types that we're seeing in the space. But overall, the DAO space is one of the niche areas in Web3. It's still not too mature, but we're seeing a huge improvement overall with different 
solutions to some of the existing problems in the space. Personally, I'm really bullish on DAOs. I'm going to give you an example to help me understand. So Schoolio, there's a for-profit business, right? I'm the CEO. We have a leadership team. We have an investor above us. We have a team that works on everything. Ultimately, while we're as democratic as possible, I am the CEO. I have a certain responsibility to the company from a decision-making perspective, all these kind of things. But let's say we made a Schoolio DAO. In that case, I'm no longer the CEO. Everybody is part of the voting committee with different rights. And every decision we make, whether from expansion of a new market to adding a new curriculum to pricing models, the community democratically decides the right path forward. Am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. And, and those community members can also be your customers, your investors, your backers. So there is a lot of value in that sense too. Normally in a traditional corporate, it's usually big guys sitting on the board making decisions that are beneficial for the company. But if those are the actual investors and the users directly, it would be more valuable, I think. It would be more democratic. So the example that you gave is a really good example of how that DAO structure works. So then if we use, let's say, Discord and Telegram and a bunch of other tools to run this community, your product sits on top of that communication layer and can aggregate. So Dion wanted to get a summary of what the hell is happening in the Schoolio DAO. He could use your product to go, give me a summary of the voting channel from the last two weeks and it'll give him an update. Absolutely. Not just communication, but all, we call it more like a knowledge management. So you can access to any information that you're uploading to our system. We integrate any tool that, that you use. We integrate Discord, Notion. We talked about some of the tools. We also, we also allow people to import PDF documents, other like Google documents. So for example, we also have some other tools that we're working on. One is a custom chatbot that you can create for your organization. So with a single prompt, you can create an onboarding assistant. And you can just uh, integrate this to your website and it will give specific instructions for new members and it will help for those members to get onboarded easily. One other example is grant application, grant scorer chat. So again, with a simple prompt, you create a chat bot and you can also upload your grant application, grant evaluation rubric. So a lot of these L1 layer one protocols, blockchain layers, they have grant programs, so that's why it's actually really useful for them. So you upload your evaluation rubric, and the AI actually makes a decision, evaluate that grant for you. And there are a lot of these unique use cases that organizations can actually utilize. That's mind-blowing. Dion, is your head blown up yet on what's going to happen in the next five years? Completely. And to that point, actually, so when we talk about this, democratized environments where, you know, it's management by consensus and everyone has an input. How do you actually, as your community grow, grows, how do you reach a point where that decision-making becomes easy? Because I can see if you've got thousands of community members, it could take forever to make certain decisions. That's a really good point. And that's one of the biggest pain points in the, in the DAO ecosystem. There is no 
exact answer, especially when you have a lot of different members, you need to have certain participation from those members too, which is also another problem in the space. There are some people that think that this structure is not that efficient because you need everyone's input and there are a lot of different opinions and sometimes this might not be good. But having different opinions, bringing different ideas to the table can also be beneficial at the same time. So my take on this is those are not suitable for any organization, but there are certain organizations, for example, charities, it's transparent. All those funds are on chain. You can actually believe you can see all those transactions. So I think that's a very good use case of DAOs, investment DAOs as well for similar reasons. So I personally think that DAOs are not really good for any type of business, but there are certain verticals that are really beneficial. The other piece is, so if someone asks, if someone tells me that, oh, I'm going to create a DAO for my company instead of creating, instead of starting like a traditional startup, I always say, no, you shouldn't do this because as a startup, as a small company, you have to make decisions fast. And that's how you can survive in, in the competitive startup ecosystem. But if you're a DAO and if you have some members who are going to make decisions, it's going to take a lot of time. It's not going to be efficient. That's what I recommend for them. And then. The follow-up question that I've got for you, Artis, I mean, you are operating in a very fast-moving space. So does that not put pressure on your product as well, in that you constantly have to innovate, in that your product is at risk of being recreated by another organization? So what type of what does that look like from your perspective in terms of the innovation, your roadmap, your your aggressiveness to market and change? That's a really good question. So AI and Web3 spaces are both really hot spaces, right? Yeah. It's really competitive, especially for AI-related applications. In the last few months, we have seen a lot of these AI applications. So what we're trying to do is actually understanding the pain points rather than, rather than using assumptions and build a product on top of that. We spent a lot of time talking to these Web3 organizations to understand their real needs, real pain points. So that's one of the biggest advantages. And then the other piece is, as you said, time is really important. Building new tools, products at a certain pace is really important. Where The other important point is, I think, creating a niche. So we, we are seeing a lot of AI applications, but sometimes they're not able to find their niche market. And they get lost in all those challenges. What we're trying to do is finding really niche spots in Web3 and then start with and start growing with those needs. And then later on, once we actually have a product market fit, we can just create a playbook for other industries as well using the same methods. So that's something that we are trying to do. Uh, later on, there's a lot of different things that we want to implement, but we're also doing some fundraising right now to achieve the innovations on a faster pace, I would say. Mm -hmm. So can we talk about you for a second? So this is your second start. And clearly the pain wasn't that bad from the first one. <laughs> and, and you started the next one. The entrepreneurship world is different now. I'm in my late forties. And so I've seen how much more challenging it was way back where there wasn't enough access to information, support, mentorship, even blueprints, or the fact that you could sit in Toronto 
and fully have a business running in Turkey and be okay with it. When you look at what entrepreneurship means to you in 2023, what does that mean today? For me, entrepreneurship is finding ways around. This might not specifically answer your question, but in general, as entrepreneurs, as founders, you face a lot of different challenges. And sometimes there's no clear path to find a solution for those problems. So from my perspective, entrepreneurship is finding ways around to solve that problem in very creative and innovative ways. And that's what makes you special as a founder. And do you think everybody could be an entrepreneur? I don't think it's right for everyone. That's a good question, actually. And some people like nine to five lifestyle, corporate lifestyle, and it's about that mindset, right? If you don't have that founder mindset, entrepreneurial mindset, then it's difficult. So maybe the question back to you, sir, is what are three things about you that you think makes you a, a, an entrepreneur? Resilience. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's mentally stressful. Some is physically stressful. So you need to be resilient to just survive. The other piece is getting out of your comfort zone. Again, like being a founder is not easy and you have to sacrifice certain things. Not necessarily I'm talking about objects, but like you have to network with people. You have to connect with people. That's number one. I know some people, they're not really like open to networking. They don't really like networking. And if you can't, then I think you can't be a founder. The other piece would be curiosity. I think without curiosity, it's difficult to find ways around. You have to be creative. And that creativeness comes from being a little curious about certain things. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. And, and from what little I know of you, and we've become friends over some events that we've been together at, but you also have this optimistic aura around you. From the first time I met you, there's just like this excitement and this curiosity and you never not smile from what I've seen. And there's a level of that purpose-driven good aura, which I think is in this ecosystem really hard to find. I feel like everybody's got this heaviness but there's also this lightness to entrepreneurship. Like you are literally making your own world. Absolutely. So I have been optimistic. I was more optimistic at my previous company. And then, you know, as you face challenges, as it becomes a little difficult, you get a little more realistic and sometimes even pessimistic. My co-founder, Richard, he was really pessimistic and I was the optimistic one in the group. So we were balancing each other, which is a really cute balance. Now I'm a little more realistic, sometimes even like pessimistic. And I'm still trying to stay happy. And like you said, you always see me happy. You have to be like this, even though if you're not feeling okay, because if you're leading a team, you have to always give that energy to them. If you're sad, they're going to be sad too. So that's a necessity too at some point. I love that. Tommy, before we go into the last segment, right, I'm curious to understand what you see is going to happen in this space over the next two to three years. And I'll tell you why, why I'm asking that. So 
a good few years ago, Bitcoin was the rave, right? Then we went from Bitcoin to Web3. That was the rave. Now the next rave is AI. And then we find that Bitcoin, while it's still there, it's not as in your face prevalent. Web3, while it's still there, it's actually on the back burner or sitting on the sideline. And the whole focus is now on AI. So what is your prediction around Web3 and also the AI trend that we see? Great question. In terms of Web3, there are two types of people. One is looking at it from a financial perspective, you know, coins and DeFi. And the other type, which I also include myself, it's more on the technology. Like they're thinking about the technology more than the economics and like the token side. I really think that the technology itself, the blockchain technology is getting really big. Like even if you look at the last five, six years, you have seen really big improvements in the space. There are still a lot of problems, but we're seeing solutions and we're seeing different creative ways to solve them. So I'm really bullish on this space. We're just going to see more use cases, I feel like. There are some problems with the regulations and like recently with the SEC. Those are some roadblocks for sure, but the technology is always going to be there. And we're just going to see more use cases, different ways to solve some of the problems in the Web2 space while making it more transparent, more efficient and cheaper as well. In terms of AI, I have been bullish on AI since high school. That's why, that's why I wanted to study machine learning and data science. It always amazed me how all those neural networks, all those like different algorithms work. I'm really passionate about AI. The thing is, AI is not new. It's been always there. But with the recent large language models, GPT-4, there's stable LM, it's getting a little hyped right now. And personally, I'm also one of the ones that really think that it needs to get hyped because it's amazing. It's just amazing. I'm doing a lot of coding with ChatGPT. Our whole business is actually built on top of GPT. So there are a lot of use cases that we're seeing. It just makes me really excited. We're going to see more of these different use cases with AI and also Web3 as well. But yeah, I don't think that it's ever going to stop. I mean, I know that there's this recent open letter that's gone out around AI and the fact that governments need to start regulating it and there has to be a lot more stricter guidance and rules around it. And the reality is we can't stop it. But do you see that this open letter is going to get the following that it needs and we are going to see a lot more regulation around AI? I'm pro-regulation, but the problem is all those regulators be regulated in a way that's going to benefit themselves, not the public. So that's the biggest concern. Right now, the AI scene is amazing. It can be dangerous for sure. I'm seeing a lot of different articles. It can get really dangerous. But again, regulation why I don't think it's going to be regulated in a way that's, that's going to help the community and the tech community. But I'm just hoping that it will be regulated at some point with some flexibilities, not closing everything. We're seeing other industries like scooter sharing. It's also regulated. 
for example, in Paris, it was banned recently. In, in Toronto, not the shared ones, even the personal e-scooters are banned. Banning a mode of transportation is just unnecessary. And I don't think it should be allowed. It's not equitable. It's not equitable at all. So now that with the AI regulations, I think it has to be equitable and the tech community needs to be supported to build more applications and bring more convenience for the tasks that we have been doing manually, but also needs to be regulated in a way that's going to be safe in the long term. I have one last question before we get into the final segment, Dion. Most of our guests try to figure out a blueprint or a business plan for the first two years, three years, five years, but most of them are working in the Web 2.0 world. There's a comparable business. I want to be better than this supplier. I want to be a better microtransaction company. I want to be a better health hardware company. I want to be, a... they have something and they want to be a better version of it. But so much of what you're talking about hasn't been around long enough to be a blueprint to follow. So when you are leading this company, how do you roadmap? How far ahead can you plan? What does success look like when the business models and the business planning is so new? That's an excellent question. So you define the business model yourself. There's no proven business model that you can, there's no playbook that you can utilize. Going back to like the original, like we, we talked about validating the idea, right? I think that's very key, very important. You need to validate the problems that you're seeing in the space and you need to build products based on those feedback, based on those pain points. If you're able to solve pain points and if people are willing to pay for the service, I think you're always going to get new feedback. That's what we have been seeing so far. All the beta customers we had, they're bringing us different ideas. They're saying, oh, can you do this? Can you do that? I think that's how you navigate that process. Good answer. Good answer. Dutch. And then to the last point, then we have Confession Corner. And that is where you share with us those things that keep you awake at night. So you entered a new space, you run in this business, you've got a very positive outlook and disposition. But behind closed doors, what are the things that really scare you? Being a founder is not easy. It's not ping. It's not always really good. One thing that we have been challenge we have been facing challenges with is fundraising. So we tried fundraising for our marketplace products, and again, we couldn't really find a good business model, and we couldn't really find an investor who would lead the round. And we decided to move away from the DAO space. And one of the major concerns was also regarding the market size of the DAO space as well. And we decided to move away from that space and try to build something for the entire Web3 community. Right now, we had our beta phase done. We recently launched, just last week, we launched our full product. And now we're doing a fundraising round again. It's exciting, but it's also making me nervous so yeah, I think that's one of the challenges that we have been facing or not have been, uh, we faced before. And now it makes me nervous if we're going to have the same challenges as before. I appreciate you sharing that. And that's the whole thing behind Confession Corner. You know, it's to let other early stage founders know that we all have concerns and challenges and we just have to navigate through it and we roll with the punches. 
So I appreciate you sharing that with us. And I'd like to thank you for being on the show. For me, massively informative. I don't profess to know a hell of a lot about this space. And I'm probably in, I'm not the minority. There's a lot of people out there that don't know a lot. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of communication, but there's a lot of white noise. And to should be able to distill it and understand what's important and what's coming. I think that's really important. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. In our ecosystem, Dion, like Julio is going to have to deal with this as the next generation of students come on as we move from K to eight to high school to university. And they're already thinking like Arda, they're going to want to have a voice in what we're building. And this Dow mindset, which feels foreign today, could be the norm in the next three to five years. And we have leaders have to figure that out on, on how to do it. And Arda, just for your sake, every morning I call Dion to confess. What happens daily? That's cool. That's cool. Like, again, like I personally, we talked about how being a founder is difficult. And like one thing that I didn't know before being a founder is the fact that failing is not a bad thing at all. Like now I'm not afraid of making mistakes because that's how you learn. That's the biggest learning opportunity. But you need to be mindful that you don't need to, that you shouldn't make the same mistake again. You need to learn from those mistakes. There's a lot of things that I learned. I failed a lot of different times. And I think that makes founders even more powerful, even more mindful about themselves and their capabilities, their knowledge. I love it. Thank you, man, for jumping on with us today. Certainly one of the smartest conversations around tech that we've had on this show. And I think this is one that we're going to advise all of our future founders to go and listen to, even to understand what is it that you need to be thinking about, even if you're not doing it. So Arna, pleasure to have you on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Year One is hosted by Dion Kloppers and Sathish Bala and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It is engineered by BlueMex. For more Year One content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit BlueMex.io to join us on Discord.